Good to see you all. And I too uh, just want to say special welcome to the Upper Ross congregation. It is so amazing uh, that our church uh, in that region is flourishing. And uh, Pastor Michael, we, we love you, Ruth. We love your leadership. We totally, completely and utterly support your ministry. And uh, really glad that as uh, planning would have it, uh, Michael made the suggestion, or oh, could we come to Upper uh, to Northreach Kerwin just for that kind of segment between uh, working together in Ponty Road and having services there and actually moving into PCYC for a season? And I just thought, well, how appropriate is that? Because you, it, it means that you never go out of our mind. <laughs> we, we know that the ministry is there. And uh, so Northreach Kerwin, keep praying, yeah? Uh, we believe in what you are doing. So uh, thank you so much for that. And uh, whilst we do pray for Michael and Ruth, don't forget the steering committee and of course those uh, members of the congregation there that are so validly representing the purposes of Christ in that region. So many things going on all of the time. So we're in Genesis, and you can turn to chapter 12 briefly. Uh, I want to read um, from oh, Genesis 17, actually, and uh, verse 22. No, verse 1. Uh, it'll come. It'll come. 17.22, there it is. When Abram was 99 years old, can you even believe that? The Lord appeared to him and said, anyone want to state it out for me? I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Uh, remember that from somewhere earlier in Genesis? Walking in the garden, blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. So we've been in this Genesis story and so far we've encountered God in the Garden of Eden desiring to have a close, intimate relationship with his creation, particularly Adam and Eve. So creation beautifully crafted, 100% majestically crafted, uh, all as it needed to be. And then on the sixth day, animals and finally man created in the image of God. And the desire in the, and the purpose of God was for Adam and Eve to walk in the garden with God blamelessly. We've seen how sin has come in and distorted that beautiful picture, causing an interruption and corrupting the relationship that God had purposed. We've seen people doing life their own way and disobeying God. We've been disappointed that people totally dishonour God, trying to build a tower up to heaven, trying to do life their own way and wanting for them to have the right to make the rules. And all of this without consulting God. And we've recognised the flood. And as we've taught it, a display of God's grace and a promise to Noah to never again flood the whole earth. And we still get the rainbows. 
a reminder of the promise. And we've heard the promise of land, place and inheritance given to Abram. We just read that. And here in 2 Peter 3 and 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So today, we focus on the promises that God has made. And we say, in fact, uh, as we identify what God has said, is doing, that God activates his promises. So many times we're promised things in life, even from friends, sometimes from spouse, definitely from children, and they're not carried through. Politicians have uh, many, many degrees in this area. Sometimes it takes a promise or two to get recognised and maybe elected. But to follow through seems to be delivered with less enthusiasm. It's a fact of life. It's just how we live, how we've come to get used to things happening. In fact, I've known some politicians who've made promises in good faith, really solid promises in good faith. And then circumstances within the governing factors preclude them from being able to follow through. And that can be majorly embarrassing. We've gotten used to it. It's life. And the more I study God's promises, the more I realise that he has delivered on everything that he ever promised and continues to deliver. And God doesn't make promises that he can't deliver. That's what I've learned. Other people have told me that, but as I study the scripture, that's what I find. So it's not just say uh, someone has a good idea and says that God fulfills his promises. The reality is that I live and experience that. And that takes it to a new level for me. That it's just not theology It's living faith that God keeps his promises. He has activated and he continues to activate his promises. And he is active in delivering. That's good. That's good for me. That's great for us, isn't it? Because we are the recipients of the promise of God together. The more I get into this, the more I'm aware that God has delivered on all of the promises that he has made, except for the ones that remain in future tense. We'll get there soon. My faith says God keeps his promises. I don't need to be taken to the detail, but wow, the detail is really encouraging. And some of the The promises are so obvious and clear, yet in my life I have missed them because I'm all about the things that I'm planning and doing. I'm all about my stuff. And uh, I submit that to you, that because I'm flesh, it seems to me that it's difficult all the time to be focused 
on being the recipient of what God has provided to me. So when we have to preach on a topic like this, you get to spend a bit more time actually uh, meditating and thinking and praying and realising as God, as I become quiet before the Lord, that he makes it clear what he is doing for me in my life. As we become quiet before the Lord, we become clearer on what he is doing for us in our lives. So when you have to preach, best you look into it a bit, right? That's one of the uh, good activities of needing to stand up here and say something is you need to be in the word of God a little bit before you have that right. And the Bible tells us the story of Abraham and that God made promises or covenants with him. And we read in Genesis 17 that God makes a covenant with Abram, including that he was going to change his name from Abram to Abraham. Now, we, we probably remember Abraham a little bit more than Abram, but Abram was the man that God chose. And he changes, changes his name. And I'm just going to put it out there. Maybe the name change may reflect the fact that AB, you will never be the same again. Everything is going to change for you. God's all about restoration to relationship. Relationship back to his original intention for us. That means transformation. It was a name change for Abram and for us. It's restoration through transformation. Something needs to change. 2 Corinthians and 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if we are in Christ, the new creature has come. The change has occurred. There's been a transformation. The old is gone. The new is here. God is in the restoration business, which requires transformation. Good news for us, because God is about renewing us and restoring us. It's such good news. Because that's what God does. He takes us and he makes us new. So he told Abram that he would no longer be called Abram, but Abraham. And there's always a lot in a name. Abraham means father of many nations. So God is giving credit to his promise. And in fulfillment, the action of fulfillment includes a recognition of who Abraham is becoming and now who he has become because of God's deliberate activity in his life and delivering the promise through him and through his descendants. God was already getting Abraham in place, ready for the promises that would be fulfilled through him. God was already releasing grace on Abraham before the promise is even revealed. God is a God of activated promises. He is an action God. Something was going on and God was doing it through Abraham. In Genesis 12, we cover this uh, fact that God is all about relationship and always had a relationship with Abraham. It was purposed. 
And God was telling him, I want you to move out of this land that you're going to go from your country and to get away from your family and even out of your father's house because I'm about to make a mighty nation, a, a mighty movement, a mighty move on you and your descendants. And God activated the plan. It became real. He was already ministering through Abraham. The message to Abraham, I have a plan for you to prosper and to be the father of many nations and reminding him that God was about relationship, kindred relationship and would keep this promise. Now, I believe Abraham understood that just as we understand relationship today. We get that. I haven't met anybody other than some people uh, that it's hidden from that don't get relationship. God has a plan for Northreach. God has a plan for each church in Townsville. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person who knows or believes that. God's plans are yesterday, today and tomorrow. Until Jesus fulfills that part of God's plan. And I just want to say something here, and maybe we can pick this up in our life groups this week in discussion. But God has a covenant plan to redeem his people and restore us. That's the big picture plan, to have relationship and to save us for eternity. And I totally believe that God has this big picture locked and loaded, and there is a plan is there anybody in Townsville who is distorting God's plan? Is there anybody in Townsville who's affected by uh, disobedience or by the leading of the evil one and distorting God's plan? We need to pray for those people. We need to pray a release of God's plan on this city. Amen? We need to be a part of God's plan in releasing the goodness of God, the person of God, the DNA of God through the people of God in this city. And some of us are laying dormant in that. Some of us are just getting through the week and uh, Sundays are propping us up. And that's not really the plan. Sundays shouldn't be propping us up. Sundays should be a place where we bring our worship. Amen? Where we bring our worship together the you's and the me's and the we's and we come together right across this city as Christians and we bring our worship but through the week we ought to be living our Christ-like life we ought to be fulfilling the plan of God fulfilling the promises of God in how we live our life and the things we say and the things we do and the things we don't do the things we choose not to do really matter surely we don't think God is responsible for the sadness and the countless atrocities across our world pretty sure we know that's man it isn't how he purposed man to live we were to walk 
in harmony and worship with God in the garden. Amen. And it got distorted. And just as suffering occurs in the Old Testament because of disobedience, there's also suffering in our world as a result of disobedience in the New Testament time. There is suffering in Townsville. God knows about it. And he chooses to work through his bride, the church, today. So we are agents of restoration and care for those who suffer in Townsville. Uh, that's, the big picture is in place. But some of the detail requires us to man up, so to speak. He chooses to work through us. One of the roles of the church leadership is to watch for ways to reach out, to manage and utilise our resources wisely and to glorify God in our actions. As God is preparing us, we need to be obedient. And being obedient is when the Holy Spirit of God prompts us, that's the action we need to take, right? Not sitting alone in a dark room trying to work out what do I need to do, just live our life, but be responsive when the Spirit of God moves in us. Those are the times where I would say there's disobedience when we, we get a prompting, even as simple as, let me translate it this way, we think about something and we think that would be a good thing to do. Well, isn't God part of as a, our character? can't we allow him to work in our mind to bring good ideas and collectively I don't know Baptists are good at meetings some of you would have experienced some um, some meetings aren't so good but a lot of them are good because what it should be is the collective of the gifts of God brought together in a space where we honor God and we share our thinking and therefore, we can make decisions because you might find that your good idea aligns with someone else's good idea that aligns with someone else's good idea. It becomes your collective good idea and you go about actioning it to the glory of God. Amen? That's the only good purpose to have a meeting. We ask God to order our steps, but when he tells us to do something, we say, I want to do it that way. I want to do it my way. We don't want to be different today to who we were yesterday. And tomorrow, well, that can look after itself because I'm really only interested about today. This is man speaking. That's the mind of man. The mind of God is planned and purposed and intentional around relationship and the key is love, hope and peace. We have a thought that we'd like to see change. Um, Abraham had to leave his family, make a new start. I have no clue what that was like for AB. No clue whatsoever. I can sit alone sometimes and think about it and try to gain perspective on what that might have been like. And that's helpful. It's good. We can read the scripture and we can think, wow, that was amazing that he was obedient uh, to do that, to leave his family and take his camels and away he went to make a, a new nation. It's, it's a crazy thought in my mind because I actually don't mind stability. 
I mean, I left my mum and dad a long time ago and went off into the mission of being in the ministry. And I didn't quite know. I'm one of the one of the real journeymen for a local Baptist pastor. Been from Cairns to Melbourne, out to Dolby, west of Briz, north of Briz, east of Briz. I've, I've been kind of a bit of a journeyman, all right? And each time, that's cost us something. Uh, I look at some of my friends who God led in a different direction and I think some days my flesh says, well, that would have been nice, <laughs> stay around family, um, you know, have, have some good stuff going on and, and lots of uh, genealogy to share and watch my neighbour's kids grow up. But that hasn't been life for me. I've gone in a different direction. And that doesn't matter to you insofar as you need to know that you're following Jesus that's appropriate for you and those that are called alongside of you. If we think about our church, I don't know this story as accurately as many of you, but I'll have a go. Townsville and District Baptist Church came out of a couple of smaller churches. It then, uh, a little while later, moved to Kerwin and later had a name change to Northreach. Big summary, right? The Lord provided 15 acres of dry land here for his purposes. And lots of good decisions came along the way. Lots of people involved. Uh, we had a Bible college for a quite a long time. Interns continue. Uh, many missionaries supported, many missionaries sent. We need to keep sending. Uh, safe housing provided for some ladies, some of whom are in our congregation. Countless food boxes given to needy people, nearly at the 500 mark for washing machines given away. So much furniture collected and rehomed to people in need. And pretty recently, a couple of community gardens added through the grant of Corinity Queensland Baps. Pretty sure I'm just scratching the surface when I say all of those things, right? Lots of depth underneath that. In the midst of all that positive history and good stuff going on, we have a place to worship that's beautiful with aircon and seats and people all around us to help us when we come to meet with God. And the PCYC provided for our Upper Ross congregation, a ginormous fan in the PCYC, and that all starts from next week. Historically and presently, you want to know what Gary thinks about all that? Well, the answer is this. What do you want, Lord? And, and Gary wants together with Northreach and Northreach Upper Ross to know what is the Lord's mind and heart for our niche in this city of Townsville and beyond. What plans does God have for Northreach and Northreach people? Because God already has mapped out the plan for us. Somewhere there's a set of plans in someone's mind, uh, the directions, the detailed instructions. It's embedded into someone's mind and heart. God will have given those instructions. It's, it's our job as a collective people of God to be open to what God is saying through his people. 
vision that will guide us. So pray for your leaders and talk with your leaders. If you have ideas, bring the spirit of God's influence amongst us. What plans does God have that we need to activate in his name? And maybe it totally upsets everything that's normal around us. That's okay. The answer may take us totally out of our comfort zone. If we want to see God's promises fulfilled to his glory, we need to move our feet, just like Abraham did, to be obedient. We've talked for a few weeks about the big picture. I wanted to identify, drill down on some things that God is activating amongst us now. He promises us strength. He will always give us his strength. When we're feeling weak and we have a desire to follow and honour and serve God, he promises the power to endure. In Isaiah 40 and 31, love this, but those whose hope is in the Lord will renew their strength. Soar on wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not be faint. This is a biggie. He has promised and he is keeping this promise. This is an active promise that he will redeem you. He's a holy and righteous God. He's right in every way. That's what righteousness means. And he requires payment for sin. Now, our problem is that we're born in a fallen world with a fallen flesh and we sin because we're sinners. And we have to, if we had to pay our own penalty for sin and rebellion against God, how would we do that other than die? And that's not fulfilling the purpose of God. He wants us to live. And that means if we were to die, we would die spiritually as well as physically. No good. Not God's desire. But God has redeemed us, brought us back. He desires that none of us dies. So he sent Jesus to die in our place. And Colossians 1, for he has rescued us through Jesus from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And it simply means that Jesus took our place on the cross and he died spiritually and then was resurrected to new life so that we don't have to die spiritually and pass from this life to a resurrected life. Amen? Wow. This is a promise of our God. This is just not theology, right? It's just not the the thing that is written somewhere. This is real life. This is transformation. This is purpose. Jesus died to provide the means of God to keep his restoration promise. And God has promised to forgive us when we confess. When we put our faith in Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you do this, your life begins to change dramatically because of the newness that comes in Christ. We are made new. Confession, I might add, is you and I agreeing with God on the true state of our heart and actions. We confess when we agree with God about our actions and our thoughts. You don't confess because you think, oh, time for confession. 
Confession is an active state of our heart and mind to agree with God on the true state of who we are. Uh, 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess, the little word if sometimes gets tossed around. I think it has real purpose right here. If we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive. Otherwise, we're back to the kind of robotic relationship or lack of relationship. If we are not participating in the covenant, uh, we're missing the mark, aren't we? It becomes one-sided. And a covenant relationship is an interaction between two parties, man and God, people and God. And so for people to agree on the holiness of God and the righteousness of God and the right therefore all the time that God has, and if we contravene God's rightness, we need to confess. Amen? Here's a biggie. God's promise to give you the desires of your heart. Yes, we, I think, you know, often we need to pause and just examine this a little bit. Too often we translate this as God will give you what you want. I don't see that in the, in the verse right there. It's not what it says. Too many people translate this as God will give you what you want. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So the preface there is delight yourself in the Lord. Then, or delight yourself in the Lord, and the automatic response from God is, if we make it our business to delight in God, enjoy him, know him, seek him, follow Jesus, that is, decide that we want what he wants. Then he'll put desires in your heart that he will fulfill. Isn't that beautiful? So consistent, so ordered, so beautifully structured. It's not manufactured, it's just beautifully put in place at creation to be sustained even till today. Then he will give you the things that he causes you to, to desire. Look at all these promises God has activated that actually mean so much for us right now. In the covenant, and then in New Testament, post-resurrection, we have these activated promises from God that bless us. And it all starts in the Old Testament covenant. And in my opinion, my opinion only, right, but maybe the best of these promises is God has promised eternal life. That's a promise. Isn't it good? It's, it's not a theory. It's not even just a statement of theology, right? Because anybody can study the Bible. Theology is all over the world. People can study the Bible. That won't do you a lot of good until you inherit it in your life, until you accept the goodness of God and the truth of what the Bible teaches and apply it in your life, until you surrender to God and agree with him about our spiritual state, all the theology in the world can't make a difference for you. But Jesus can. We were created to exist forever. We will either die and continue eternal life 
or will die and continue eternal death. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, his only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. Not only will we live eternally, but we'll be in a wonderful place where there are no tears, no death, no sorrow or pain. And I think of it this way, because I'm so simple, take all the goodness and the care from our current world of pain. All the goodness and the care. Because there is nothing good that comes from God. So all the goodness is God planted. The church is very active in care and providing goodness across our globe. And add to that, there are some good-natured people, right, that get involved who don't know Jesus. But the goodness is from the Lord. There's no goodness in our world without the Lord. So remove that. I don't want to live there. You get that picture? Remove goodness from our current world of pain and I don't want to live there. It shouldn't be the motivator for me to give my heart to Jesus. But wow, when I think through the the consequences of not giving my heart through to Jesus, my goodness. God has covenanted with us, promised that Jesus will return. Jesus will come again and will take those who are saved. So that means all of us who trust with our lives, who committed our lives to Jesus, believe and put our trust in him, he's promised that we will go with him. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. And I'll give to each person according to what they've done. Awesome news that Jesus is coming again. It's a promise to make all things right. Isaiah 55 and verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. I want to concede that I don't understand how God in his heart of goodness can actually accept me and others. I want to concede that. I totally believe it, right? But it's difficult for me to understand the whole nature of God because I'm restricted by my flesh. But God is pure and wonderful and right in every way. I don't dispute that. But my goodness, when I think about things, I'm not thinking the mind of God all the time. Rarely, if ever. (laughs) My thoughts are not his thoughts. I can't think like him because I have the distractions and the distortion of the world that I live in. He said in 1 Corinthians 1 and 27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. The scripture tells us here that God is not slack concerning his promise. I'm here to remind us all that we are the evidence of God's promise. We are the evidence of God's active promises. God has promised you so many things. He's told you through his word. He's told you through his spirit. He's showed you verses that apply directly in your circumstances. He's taken you from death to life if you're a child of God today. 
God said he has made you some promises and he's fulfilling those promises every day. And all we have to do is stand on his word and wait and know that in God's perfect will and timing, we'll see all his promises manifest and fulfilled. Isn't that a beautiful, confident statement that we can make together today? Okay, I want you to do something for me as we close. Um, Invite the band to come. And if we would stand, please, all together. As the band is uh, coming, uh, we sing one last song. I would like it, not, not saying you have to do this, but I would like it if you could turn to someone close by and say, I am the evidence of God's promises. <laughs>